Come, let us pray. Heavenly Father, once again, Lord, what a joy to gather in the name of Jesus. And we pray, Holy Spirit, please come to teach us once again, Lord, what Scripture is saying to all of us. We pray also, Lord, as we hear the Word, we pray for faith to arise within our hearts, O Lord. And not just faith, but that we would fall in our hearts even to worship You and to honour You because You deserve all glory. And so, Lord, please be with me and be with all who are listening in right now, Lord. Continue to lead us and guide us. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're in Matthew chapter 8. Last week, we went through an overview of chapters 8 and chapter 9 of Matthew. So, I'm going to jump in very quickly. Matthew chapter 8 verse 1 speaks about Jesus coming down from the mountain and, and the multitudes then came around Him. But in chapters 8 and chapter 9, we see that Jesus demonstrates the authority of the kingdom and He trains His disciples. In these two chapters, we know that it also accounts for 10 miracle stories. And we will unpack these one by one. The very first group we see in Matthew chapter 8, verses 2 to 17. The first one is about a leper. The second is about centurion's uh, helper. The third is Peter's mother-in-law. But if you look at the common thread through these three miracles, we see that these miracles involve outcasts, involve someone who is ritually unclean, someone who is a Gentile, and a person who is a woman. And these miracles or the way that Jesus would have ministered to these would have been considered radical or even controversial. But our focus this evening is on the very first miracle, is in chapter 8, verses 2 to 4. So let's read these three verses, and we will get into the teaching quickly. And behold, a leper came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus put out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. Immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you tell no one, but go your way. Show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. You know, when we look at this story, on the surface we see a physical healing. But if you study it a little bit more, there is actually a lot more to this than meets the eye. The leper comes and worships Jesus, and he says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Notice the leper didn't say, Lord, if you are willing, you can heal me. Interesting, right? If today we're going to ask God to do something in our midst, we're not going to say, Lord, make me clean. We're going to say, Lord, will you heal me? If you have a sickness, if you have a condition, we would usually, mostly, use that word heal instead of clean. And so, immediately, on the, just on the outside, you can see there's already something that is different. Why did the leper say, make me clean? And then Jesus says, I'm willing, be cleansed. And immediately, he was cleansed. I believe it's important for us then to have an understanding of what clean and unclean is all about. Otherwise, this doesn't make any sense to us. So for this first part, this is a teaching about what the Old Testament and even the New Testament teaches about clean and unclean. Let's start with the big idea first. We know that God is holy. That's number one. It starts with that. If you don't start with that, it doesn't make sense. 
God is a holy God. And those who approach Him must then also be holy, must also be clean, as if we use that word, and must also be pure. Because God's holiness cannot take any sin, any uncleanness, nothing at all. And if someone who is not clean or unholy approaches a holy God, he faces the threat of death because God is holy. And so this word where the leper says, Lord, you can make me clean, comes from the word katharizo, to make clean, to purify. Comes from the word katharos, which really just means pure. You can make me clean. You can purify me. There was something about him that he realized that he was not clean, he was not pure, and I suppose we can extend it. He was, in God's terms, he was not holy. So God is holy, and God's people had to learn this as well. And that is the reason why God gave laws that would teach them what clean would be and what unclean would be. But He constitutes and sets apart a certain group of people called the priests. And the Levites, they were the ones given this duty. In Leviticus chapter 10, verses 10 and 11, God tells them that they must distinguish between what is clean and unclean, what is holy and unholy. And then they have a duty and a function and assignment to teach it to God's people. So God pulls one group apart, makes them separate from the rest. And He says, you go and find out what this is, distinguish it, and teach my people. So a whole bunch of laws, you can read Leviticus. But sadly, I think that's the one book that we usually skip, right? But the Levitical laws spell it out. We will not go into great detail here. But you know, God distinguishes between certain animal groups. This animal is clean. This animal is unclean. These types of birds, clean. This type of birds, unclean. Fishes, clean. This type of fish, unclean. You will eat this, you will not eat that. So all these things, animals and food groups, are classified between clean and unclean. And from that, you also derive the food laws. You can eat this, you can't eat that. What is kosher, what is not kosher. But when it comes to the people themselves... Bodily discharges. Now, that is also covered in the Bible. Now, today we look at it and I think we can understand why it was so important. We have a good healthcare system in place, right? And we can see hygiene or unhygienic practices. God set His people for all these things without even having to explain them to say, this is the ministry of health, thus says the Lord. He doesn't have to say it that way, okay? But... Because of health reasons, he says, okay, women after giving birth, if it's a boy, this number of days. If it's a girl, this number of days. Now you will refrain from this. You're considered unclean until a certain time, and then you are considered clean once more. During the monthly cycle, clean, unclean, okay? During uh, when, when people have sexual relations with one another, unclean, and then after a while, clean, right? And so all these things is for health, so that you are able to in the verbal commas, get yourself clean, present yourself, because the people of God, physically, they have to be clean, even as they want to be spiritually presentable before God. Now, these would also 
set certain boundaries, not just for themselves or for husband and wife, but also in relating with one another. Right? So sexual promiscuity is, is found upon, is managed in the law, and all that later you see will constitute uncleanness. Now, if there's death in the camp, if there are human corpses, anyone who touches any of these, unclean. Right? So they cannot get close to any one of these. And especially the holy group of people, the priests, those who have been commissioned or set apart as Nazarites, even worse. You cannot even come close to any one of these things. Okay? And it sounds like a barrier system, but you know it's also for hygiene. Many communities, if they don't bury the dead, if they don't uh, cremate them, uh, put them in a, in a correct place or deal with them correctly, a disease will come out after that. Speaking of diseases, there's a whole category of skin diseases where in Leviticus chapter 13 and chapter 14, the law deals with it extensively. Anyone suffering from a skin condition immediately judged as or assessed as unclean until that skin condition clears up. And short-term uncleanness may be cleared, waiting one day, you wash in water, everything is cool. But if it's a long term, well, then it's quite difficult. You've got to go through a sacrifice, you've got to present something, and then later on, you become ritually clean again. And so the passage that we're dealing with today, Matthew chapter 8, verses 2 to 4, the leper, I believe, falls into this category of uncleanness. So he knew he would understand the law, and that's why he says, I am unclean. I need to be made clean. But interestingly, he doesn't go to the priest. He doesn't go to uh, the, the temple. He goes to Jesus. Now, let's understand what this leprosy is all about. The word leprosy comes from a word that just means scales. It's a root word that means scales. And it's used also to describe the scales of fish. You dig a little bit deeper, that word comes from another word that means either to peel or to flick. So if you extend that understanding, then leprosy is a skin condition where the skin peels or flakes off or it becomes scaly. If it does not heal properly or quick enough, then it becomes hard. And so they have like elephant skin or you know, tough skin and it becomes a different color. It can go red or it can also lose its pigmentation and you have white patches. And that explains why in Leviticus 13 and 14, it talks about if it looks white, if it turns white, you've got to monitor it and see whether does it spread, does it go away or does it stay for a while. Commentators, if you read the different books, they are not sure whether it refers to modern-day leprosy as we understand it. So this one word, leprosy, may or may not have referred to this leprosy that we are more accustomed to today. And interestingly, the modern-day leprosy has a name. It's called Henson's disease. <laughs> Excuse me? It's spelled H-A-N-S-E-N. It's Hansen's disease. It may affect the nerves. It may attack the nervous system so that it renders the fingers or the feet, the flesh, no feeling, loss of feeling. And once you lose that, after a while, it begins to eat into that flesh. 
So they can lose flesh, they can lose toes, fingers. It can result in paralysis. And it can also result in blindness. This is the modern-day leprosy. We're not sure which one it is, okay? Because if you read Leviticus 13, 14, it also talks about leprosy of garments. Now, that's really very odd. How do you understand leprosy upon garments? Which means, at that point, leprosy might just be referring to mold or a fungal infection, mold or fungus. And so your clothes, if it's dirty and so on, you have to treat it. If not, you can get sick. And see, so God knows all these things, puts in place all these health checks for them, physical cleanness, natural cleanness, that also would indicate for them a holiness or a spiritual condition. Some of the fungus can also not just affect the garment, but some houses can be moldy. And so there is also a law on how you should keep your house clean. Very interesting, right? So if you read the laws, God provides for everything inside there. Now, if you are unclean, you will find that there are not only personal consequences, but if it becomes serious enough, if it's left unchecked, it will result also in a corporate consequence. Because as I've already been saying, physical cleanness would relate to moral and spiritual cleanness. So in the same way, physical or natural uncleanness will begin to push towards moral or spiritual uncleanness. And so things like incest, adultery, homosexuality, bestiality, all in the Bible condemned, all of these would be unclean. They will pollute not just the person, but they will also contaminate the land. Corporate consequence. Idols and idolatry are also unclean. So when the people begin to worship other gods and you begin to take possession of idols, same problem, unclean. And it brings a judgment upon the land. Taking another life, murder, that's also unclean. And all these would pollute the land and the uncleanness of these sins can be so serious that death of the sinner is the only thing that would cleanse it. God says, get rid of the uncleanness, right? Uh, take away the sin um, and deal with this very, very decisively because He will not have it in His people. So when you read the Old Testament prophets, by the time it came when God had just sent prophet after prophet after prophet, they were dealing with moral and spiritual uncleanness. They were pronouncing a call of repentance to tell the people, can you, literally, can you clean up your act? Because if you continue like this, the only way that God's going to deal with you is He's going to take you out of the land. Because the land has to be cleaned up. The land has to be given time to rest. And He has got to reset everything before He brings you back. So the Old Testament prophets addressed all these things. Spiritual uh, idolatry, harlotry, spiritual adultery, and, and moral apostasy. Israel, God's people who were supposed to be holy, clean, pure, given all the laws to help them, they were being judged by God. See, you've got to understand clean and unclean. And so generally, we can look at what this law exemplifies. 
God's law really is just talking about that's on one side, God is, God is holy, God is, God is clean, God is pure, He's perfect. On the other side is sin. What's sin? Sin is simply missing God's mark. The moment He tells you to do something, you don't do it, you've missed it. You walk according to your own ways, your own dictates, your own agenda. And the moment you do that, you bring upon yourself uncleanness. You're not walking the ways of God. You're not separated. You're not set apart from the other nations. But if you follow God, that's a good choice. Because God is alive. And so if you choose life, you choose God, things will be okay for you. Right? You walk in His ways. But if you don't do that and you live according to sin and according to your own way, you and I know the New Testament quote, the wages of sin is death. You're calling this upon yourself. You are asking for it. God has said so clearly. Now I want you to look at these words or as you listen to these words. Can you remember just a few sessions earlier? Jesus says, I want you to choose correctly, right? There's a broad way and there's a narrow way. This narrow way leads to what? It leads to life. You have a choice to make. See, the Bible is consistent. Jesus is not teaching anything new. He's in the New Testament, but all He's doing is just bringing the law into clarity to say, I'm not teaching you anything new. I'm telling you exactly the same thing. I'm the king of this kingdom. Will you listen to me. And so if God's people are to be holy and God's people are not to be unclean, sometimes God gives laws where we don't understand. And Israel was just to obey God's laws whether it made sense or not. You know, sometimes we struggle with that. Actually, a lot of times we struggle with that, right? We are wondering, why can wear this material cannot wear that material? Huh? Why can like this, or why cannot this? Why can we not boil the goat with the mother's milk? And, you know, what, 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 what? We don't understand. And so people who look at us and say, what kind of God are you worshipping? And especially with the gender issues now, they say, oh, you know, you only hold to homosexuality. How about all the others? Why do you pick one law and you not pick the other law? But you see, for God's people, they were to obey God's laws whether it made sense or not. Whether it was it for health reasons or not for health reasons. If God says it's clean, it's clean. If it's unclean, it's unclean. What's the reason? They are God's chosen people. That's it. That's the best reason. They are God's chosen special people. And if you are God's people and God's family and God's treasured possession, we started with that first premise. God is holy. And if God is holy, then His people must be holy. And holiness is not just moral perfection. We can define holiness as being separate, being set apart. That's what holy is all about. And so if God's people are to be set apart, then you just do things differently. That's it. God says, if it's this, it's this. If it's that, it's that. You trust me. It's for a good reason. And the law reminds Israel of this very special, privileged position. I hope you catch this big picture. This is the Old Testament understanding of clean and unclean in a very, very quick survey. We are going to scoot over to the New Testament now. And let's see, how does it apply? Is it still consistent? 
Is it still applicable? And so in the Gospels, Jesus addresses clean and unclean. But here's the interesting point. Jesus goes straight for the heart. Immediately, he goes right there. He says, look, it's not what goes into your stomach that defiles. It's not what you touch or don't touch that defiles. Do you know where the problem is? The problem is right in your heart. Because out of your heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, and blasphemies. So he turned it almost like like an upside-down thing. And he wasn't changing anything. See, I told you, the laws were to remind us as God's people that we are different. And if we are different, we live different. But if you only live different on the outside, and on the inside, nothing changes, you're wasting your time. This is what Jesus is saying. It's like, hello, you're looking at the wrong things. The Pharisees were arguing with him or getting upset with him and pointing fingers saying, how come you know, your disciples never wash their hands? Uh, never do all these ritualistic cleansing before they eat. And that's why Jesus had to tell them, it's not the washing of hands. I mean, wash with soap if you have to five times. It's, it's not so much that. But you can have the squeaky clean hands, but if your hearts are still evil, then you are unclean. He was addressing straight to the heart. You can keep all the laws on the outside and you still can be unclean on the inside. Now, my dear friends, every time you read the Gospels and you see Jesus having a go at the Pharisees, don't say, uh, yeah, serves them right. Terrible people. Don't, Don't ever do that. You know why? Because you have to remind yourself. You can serve and look and talk like a Christian and you can still be unclean on the inside. You can be exactly the same. Alright, so stop pointing a finger at anyone. I, I'm not impressed how loud you sing, how, how much you jump, how high you lift your hands. You know, all those are outward. You can do the Christian thing, but inside, if your heart is not dealt with, you're still unclean. If you're still thinking dirty thoughts, oh, God help you. He sees every one of them, by the way. Jesus goes straight for the heart. And that's why in Matthew chapter 23, oh man, he, he, he went for the scribes and the Pharisees. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. Hypocrites. Jesus, the, the meek, the gentle, the loving, the, the, the nice guy that everyone wants him to be and makes him out to be. He, can you imagine if he looks at you and says, hypocrites. For you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish. But inside, they are full of extortion and self-indulgence. It's all you. It's all me. It's nothing about anyone else. Verse 26, blind Pharisee. First cleanse the inside of the cup and dish, that the outside of them may be clean also. And as if that wasn't enough. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs. And this is a real derogatory insult, you know. Because if you are a priest, if you are serving in the temple, uh, you will not touch dead bodies. You will stay a mile. You, you will skirt. You will go as far as you can so that you do not risk yourself being defiled. And Jesus looks at them and says, you whitewashed tombs. 
and not enough, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inwardly are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Jesus goes straight for the hearts. That's New Testament. And the New Testament did not change the Old Testament. The Old Testament, already they were having a problem. They did what was outside, outward, but they are inward. Their inward remained the same. And this supports the point. Adherence to the law does not save. The law cannot save you. The law only tells you to do certain things, but if you don't let God clean you up, nothing is going to happen. The law cannot save. Salvation can only come by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. That's the good news. You can't save yourself. You can play act all you want. You can dress your, yourself as a Christian and you, know, you can act and talk and have Christian lingo. That's not going to help. Only Jesus can save. That's why in Matthew, the same book, chapter 1, verse 21, you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from what? Not from the enemy, not from the foreign powers, not from anything, but save them from their sins. God needs to save us from ourselves. Emmanuel, when he comes and he saves you, then God is with us. Why? Because he cleans you up. And as he cleans you up, only after he does that, a holy God then dwells amongst a holy people. Jesus goes straight for the heart. When you go to the epistles, now let me remind you, epistles are written to believers or non-believers? Believers, right? The epistles are written to the churches. And so believers are supposedly saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. So have they been made clean? Amen. In Jesus Christ, we have been clenched. However, as Israel was saved and set apart that they may live in holiness, it is the same with the church. So as you have been made clean, as the churches, the people of God have been made clean, does cleanness still apply? Yes. Do we still have to be careful about uncleanness? Yes. See, a lot of people make the mistake thinking that, oh, I'm already cleaned up by Jesus, so I can be as unclean as I want and I'll still be clean in Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Doesn't make sense. You are presuming on the wrong thing. So in the New Testament, let's deal with the foot law, uh, foot laws. Let's deal with the food laws first. Let's get this out of the way. See, I already shared with you Jesus' ministry and teaching. And it provides a very good foundation for outreach to the Gentiles and the abolition of the food laws. Those were cultural laws, social laws for, for Israel. God says, I want you to be different, and so you will eat differently from the rest. But now there's a whole world mission now. Jesus comes now not to save only Israel. He says, look, it's too small. They only save Israel. The servant of the Lord has to save the entire world for the Gentiles also. And so you can't have food laws there anymore. You take them out. Jesus says, it's not what you put in that defiles you. It's the matter of the heart. And so we see in Acts chapter 10, Peter and the situation with Cornelius, which I'm sure we are familiar, right? Peter is praying. I believe he was fasting also. And then he has this heavenly buffet spread come down. And he says, I can't eat this. I mean, this is all unclean stuff, right? And I've never touched any of these. And God says, no, you eat. 
He says, oh, I can't do this. And then God says to Peter, you don't call anyone unclean anymore because I'm removing this already. Okay, so you can eat this and you can also participate with the Gentiles. You can eat with them now. Why? Because you're going to bridge this. You're going to bring the good news out to them so that they can hear the good news that Jesus can save them, clean them up entirely, and they will also be my people. And so that opens the way for the Gentile mission, and it culminates. I'm going really quickly. I hope you go back and read your Bible, huh? from chapter 10 to chapter 15. It culminates in this thing called the Jerusalem Council. Because now the Gentiles have received Jesus, they have received the Holy Spirit, they are speaking in tongues, they are all wanting to be baptized right now, and so they have a good problem on their hands. The Jews are all wondering, can or cannot? Is this possible or not? So they bring word back and they have this whole council, they have this meeting. And finally, James, who was the leader at that point in time, led by the Holy Spirit, makes the decision. He says, we will write to the Gentiles, they don't have to keep the law. The only thing that they have to keep is that they abstain from things polluted by idols. So idolatry, number one from sexual immorality. So number two, their physical relationships. From things strangled and from blood. These are the main things because blood has to do with life. Anything to do with life must be rendered holy. And so anything else was not mentioned. Everything is, is par for the cause already. They don't have to keep the law. For the Jews, if they want to continue to keep the law to eat separate things, that's fine. It's okay. But there's nothing wrong with that at this point. Okay? So Paul, trained in the law, Pharisee of all Pharisees, upholds this position. You will find it in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 8. He says, Food does not commend us to God. For neither if we eat are we the better, nor if we do not eat are we the worse. So to paraphrase, Paul is saying, Eat also like that. Don't eat also like that. You want to eat, eat. No? You don't want to eat, don't eat. No. It doesn't make you closer to God or better for God. Then he says in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3 to 5, and here he was warning Timothy, he says, you be careful because there are people who will come to forbid you to marry, you cannot marry, or they will ask you to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. And so all you need to do is receive it with thanksgiving, praise the Lord, give thanks for it, and it's fine. He wasn't putting a burden on the, on the Gentiles to say, look, you better follow our laws. Now. This thing you can read. So the food laws are not applicable based on what Jesus has taught, based on what Paul and together with the other apostles have upheld. Some of you are saying, well, praise the Lord, man. I didn't know that. And I'm saying sometimes leaders in their best of hearts and good intentions may tell you certain things that you shouldn't be eating certain things. Now, I've got a footnote for you. Please, not so fast. Write down there, footnote, underline. This position does not give you permission to eat unhealthily and excessively. Come on, say Amen. Okay? Don't say, oh, I just give thanks all day. I can eat anything. And you know it is unhealthy for you. 
That's not the point. Because if you take in things that are excessive and unhealthy, then you have defiled this physical temple of God. You are the temple of God. You want to look after this body. Don't you want to be fit and healthy that you can continue to do your kingdom assignments? Amen. So the food laws, they are no longer applicable. Enjoy your kway chap. <laughs> or whatever. Okay? The third thing is this. Moral and spiritual uncleanness is still applicable. The New Testament writers, like the Old Testament prophets, address uncleanness, mentioning it often alongside the issues of idolatry and sexual immorality. You can do a search. The word uncleanness comes out. If there's no need for us to pay attention to uncleanness, the apostles need not have warned the believers. And I always say this, love the blessings, but heed the warnings. The warnings are there for a reason. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness. Now, just pay attention to those words being grouped together. Fornication, that means sex outside of marriage, which is rampant in the world today, which may be happening in the church today. Fornication, uncleanness, and covetousness. What's covetousness? Wanting something that you don't have. Looking at your brother's goods or belongings or wife. It's mentioned alongside uncleanness. Let it not be even named among you as is fitting for saints. Colossians chapter 3, verse 5. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. The word uncleanness is not mentioned in this list of sins or vices. But the other words are mentioned. So I think we can safely conclude uncleanness is a part of this. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Will you agree with me? Group this whole thing? Uncleanness. Yes or no? See, the Bible is very clear. I, I don't know how we can close our eyes to all these things. Moral and spiritual uncleanness still applicable. And on top of the list, every time you read Paul's warnings, exhortations or rebukes, it's associated with sexual sin. Always sexual sin. Why? Because sexuality and sexual acts involve life. It's about procreation. It involves life. The bodily discharges contain life. Romans chapter 1, verse 24 Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 7. For God did not call us to uncleanness. Now, a few verses before that, Paul was addressing sexual immorality. God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness. It is true, Jesus has made us clean. 
but it does not give us permission to continue to be unclean. And if you look at 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 20 and 21, we are told that if anyone cleanses himself, did you hear those words? You're writing to believers, you know. Jesus has made us clean. And yet, Paul tells the person, if anyone cleanses himself, Jesus has made you clean that you can have fellowship with God, that we can be in a right relationship with the Lord. But as we do that, we have a responsibility to cleanse ourselves henceforth, to keep ourselves clean so that we may be a vessel for God's honour, sanctified and useful for the Master, prepared for every good work, also known as kingdom assignment. So dear friends, Archippus, if you, if you want to be on kingdom assignment, do you think you've got to deal with some uncleanness should there be? I believe so, you see. That's what the alignment check is all about. What has been appropriated for us, we are then to live out to the glory of God. And believers who do not pay attention to these things, the Bible is clear again. They are to be dealt with through church discipline. They are to be addressed by the leaders. And if they still are not repentant, then they are to be excommunicated. Sounds harsh? Okay, that word is like a taboo word nowadays, right? Excommunicated. Oh, cannot lah, so ungracious. How can you all be like that? No. But today, you see, with 700 churches, huh, one excommunicate, huh, you've got 699 to go to. Huh? And so the, the leaders are not really wanting to excommunicate you because they're trying to keep you from going to the other 699. It's a sad situation. It's difficult. It's tough. But you see, if we want to be clean before the Lord, we have to address all these things very, very clearly and critically. And if you're still wondering, why so harsh? Why does it appear so harsh? It is exactly the same reason as the Old Testament. Peter says, you are God's special people. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are different. You have to be different. And if God is holy, then you are holy. Look at the way you conduct yourself, right? You are set apart. You are holy. You are clean. You are pure. Live that way. So that the people out there looking in, they have no cause that we may be above reproach. You know what's our problem with the church today? We're pointing fingers, we're laughing at the gender issues and all that. And they're looking at us and they say, your, your, your marriage rate uh, is not very good, you know. Your divorce rate is almost as high, you know. And just in case you don't know, you know, some of your leaders are committing adultery. You've got nothing to say. I'm not saying we, you're perfect, perfect because we're all on this journey. But don't you think there's something for us to pay attention to. See, it's about understanding what is clean and unclean. And once we know that, now we can come back to our verse. It's about restoration. It's about restoration. Why? Because when someone is unclean, they are cut away from God. When someone is unclean, they are cut away from the community. They are ostracized. They are pushed out. Because the community is to be a special group of people worshipping a holy God. That's how serious God is. His grace is always there. His mercy would always be enough for us. 
But the question is, will we respond? It's about restoration. Back into right relationship with God. Back into right relationship with the kingdom community. When the leper was saying, Lord, will you make me clean? It's more than just asking for a healing. It's more than just a physical thing. He understood deep within his heart, I believe, he wanted restoration. He wanted restoration. Let's examine two sides, you know. Let's look at the leper and then let's look at Jesus. I noticed four things about the leper. One thing, there was an acknowledgement of uncleanness. He knew he was unclean. I mean, it's like, duh, right? Obvious, huh? His skin is flaking. Uh, it's painful. Uh, he's got white spots. You know, and things are just not right with him. And he acknowledged, I'm, I'm, I'm unclean. This is it. And I, I need some help. Now, why am I sharing this with you? Why is it important to acknowledge our situation? Well, because some faith teachers teach you that you cannot confess negative things. That even if you're sick, you cannot say you're sick, you know. Because if you say you're sick, then you're only confirming that you're only sick. And that you'll never be well because you keep saying you're sick. So you cannot say you must only confess good things. Even though you're sick, you must keep saying, I'm well, I'm well, I'm well. It's some positive confession, very new agey kind of a thinking, very worldly, positive declarations. But I'm saying to you, there's no need for denial. There's no need to sweep anything in the carpet. If you it's good if you acknowledge your condition. And I think the people of God need to acknowledge their condition, not just physically, but spiritually, that if you have sin, if you are still living beneath what God wants you to live, acknowledge it. Stop sweeping under the carpet. Stop using the, the grace word, you know, as if that's a magic formula. Acknowledge it and then receive His grace. He acknowledges His uncleanness, but we do not know whether His condition was due to a genetic condition or was it a personal sin. Because in the Old Testament, leprosy was often associated with sin and a judgment of God. And so it's very natural for people to look at his condition and say, yo, this one, uh, sure sin one. Uh. Must be because he sinned. Have you heard something very familiar like that? Right? And today we, we say exactly the same thing to people who are either having uh, cancer or having a disease or something. Say, Maybe you did something wrong, you know. On one hand, they tell you you cannot confess wrong thing. And another one, they tell you you better confess your sin. So I don't know which one they're referring to. But it's not always sin. As in the case of the blind man where the disciples asked Jesus, did this guy sin or did the parents sin? And Jesus says, neither, because he's going to manifest the glory of God. It's for the glory of God. So you can't always say it's sin, but you can acknowledge, I'm not well. I need help. That's what I'm trying to say. That's point number one. Point number two is that he had a desire for restoration. I mean, he, this guy had to stay outside the camp. This guy had to stay away from his wife if he was married, his children if he had children. If he's got friends, no one would talk to him. He would have to stay within a leper colony. He would be excluded from community. And wherever he goes, he would shout, unclean, unclean. I mean, talk about a negative confession, right? It's like warning others so that they can stay clean because I am doing you a favour. He would have had to endure rejection. Some of the rabbis, because they were holy and they are holy men and teachers, if they see a leper even come near them or within their sight, they will take stones and they will throw at them to chase these guys away. Say, please, please go away. Don't contaminate me with your condition. 
they can't go to the worship uh, services, they cannot go to the temple because they were ritually unclean. And I believe there was this desire, I need to be restored back in the right relationship with God and back also into relationship with the people whom I love. The third thing would come from the second that there came a level of desperation. And with that level of desperation, there was a level of courage to approach Jesus. This was radical. Right? Remember, he had to chase everyone out by shouting unclean. And now he says, I- I've had it, man. I've heard about Jesus, and I believe he can heal me, so I'm going to go. He braves the rejection. And it's not just Jesus sitting there having a cup of coffee. He says, and he goes to a table and says, can I sit down, Jesus? Jesus was with what? Multitudes. And maybe as a leper comes, uh, uh, the multitudes all make way, uh. So he had a free through road you know, to Jesus. Or he just shouts unclean, unclean, everyone makes way. But they could have also taken stones and stoned him. He could have been killed. It was very dangerous for him to get to Jesus. The question is, do we have that level of desperation or the level of courage that comes within our hearts? Sometimes we feel... Maybe no, I better not put up my hand. I better not go forward for prayer. Have you felt that way before? Just in case, just in case. Maybe he was desperate enough. And finally, he had a, a heart of faith. He had a heart of worship and also a heart of submission. I love it that he wasn't presumptuous. He wasn't arrogant. The Bible records that he came and he worshipped Jesus. He called Jesus Lord. And it was a mark of respect. Will you, Lord, Master. He didn't presume anything. And yet, at the same time, he knew Jesus could heal. And not just heal, he knew Jesus could cleanse. He says, you can make me clean. The priest couldn't, couldn't heal anyone, couldn't cleanse anyone. They can only certify whether one was clean or not clean. That's all, they were just inspectors. Only God can heal. In their minds, only God can heal. And so can you see, he comes to Jesus, acknowledge him without even saying it, that Jesus is God. He says, you can heal. But he also deferred to the sovereignty of God. He says, if you are willing, you can make me clean. If you are willing. And I believe for the leper, it wasn't a question of ability, which means he had faith. It was a question of willingness. And he didn't presume. He didn't arm twist Jesus. He submitted to what Jesus would do or would not do. So again, there are some that teach that to question Jesus' willingness is already not to have faith. That if you question whether God is willing, you are already doubting God. And that's why you don't receive healing. A couple of months ago, this lady celebrated 50 years in a wheelchair. You may be familiar with her name. She's Joni Erickson Tada. And in 1967, she was a teenager and she suffered an accident and she became a quadriplegic. So if you look at that book, the picture there, that's of her 50 years ago holding a pencil or a paintbrush in her mouth and she would paint. If you Google There are paintings from her. Today, she's an author. She's a host. She's got a worldwide ministry. Christianity Today interviewed her, and the title is, After 50 Years in a Wheelchair, I Still Walk with Jesus. Isn't that sweet? 
I mean, she can't walk. She's still in a wheelchair. But I still walk with Jesus. And a magazine asked this question. Throughout your journey with quadriplegia, you have interacted with people who link suffering to sin or who have taught that having enough faith leads to miraculous healing. What appeal did this sort of faith healing initially have for you as a young woman? And so you can read the article and read the interview for yourself. But what she said was, obviously, she was desperate to want to get out of the wheelchair. And she just wanted to believe she was confessing that I'm going to walk again and so on. She refers to this account where she went to a Catherine Coleman service. The place was packed. There were thousands of people. And she was sitting in the wheelchair section. And then testimonies, you know how it is, right? They always share testimonies and the music is played. And then... Catherine Coleman comes on. Then the spotlight goes from corner of the ballroom and the healings were happening and she said, my heart started pumping. The spotlight switched to another corner. I was getting more excited, thinking that maybe the spotlight will come and hit the wheelchair section. It never did. And then after that, before the service ended, the ushers pushed all the wheelchair people out so that they won't create a jam after that. And then she thought to herself, something's wrong with this picture. Why is it that the people who needed healing most obviously were the ones that the spotlight missed? Something is wrong with it. And then another question was asked of her, how has your view of healing changed after all these 50 years? So let me read this. One of the first things I read about healing that really helped was from Mark chapter 1. Jesus has been healing all day long. Finally, everybody goes away and night falls. The crowds come back early the next morning and Simon Peter goes looking for Jesus because he's not to be found. He's somewhere praying. And when they find him, Simon says, everyone is looking for you. Jesus' reply to Peter is so amazing. He doesn't say, oh quick, let me go back down the hill and help all these six people. Instead, he says to Peter, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages where I must preach there also, for this is why I have come. I read those words, this is why I have come. And I began to see Jesus' priorities of healing differently. The same man who healed withered hands and blind eyes is also the one who said, if the hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Or if that eye leads you astray, gouge it out. God is interested in a deeper healing. And she concludes with this paragraph, which is really beautiful. There are really more important things in life than walking. There are more important things in life than having the use of your hands. And that is having a heart that's free of the grip of sin and pride and self-centeredness. This is someone who has sat in a wheelchair for 50 years. I don't think you can look at her and say, O ye of little faith. I don't think you can look at her and say, I think you've been sinning all this 50 years. That's why God still has not given you your healing. That's why I'm careful nowadays. Do we believe? Yes, we do. Do we worship Jesus? Yes, we do. But do we defer to His sovereignty? Yes, we should. And that's why I say this often. Where there is faith, there may be healing. But where there is no healing, will there still be faith? Friends, I'm not here to rob your healing. That's not my place. Because I'm not the one who heals. 
I'm asking you to trust in Jesus. I'm asking you to worship Him because He's King of Kings, He's Lord of Lords. There's, there's no question about His ability. But we submit to Him because He is the King. So if you study the leper, you, you learn these things as you approach Jesus. But when you look at Jesus, we learn some other things. And it was also radical not only for the leper, it was radical also for Jesus. For one, Jesus, in the commas, broke the law. He was not supposed to touch someone who is unclean. Because the moment he touched a man who is unclean, he who himself, in, according to the law, will be rendered as defiled. And he should be guilty. Imagine the reaction of the crowd. Imagine the reaction of the Pharisees who were looking at him. That's why, that's why they didn't like him. It was radical. And it wasn't just breaking of the law, but the touching of a leper. I mean, can you imagine the physical, natural sight? If this person is really having a condition, it, sometimes it's not easy for someone to go close, to draw near to someone like that. But it didn't matter to Jesus. That was what was crazy about it. It didn't matter to him. His love extended to the outcast of society. Not only did he, in inverted commas, break the law, but Jesus demonstrated the law. Isn't this funny? First he breaks it, next he demonstrates it. How does he do it? Because the main thing about law is love. And he demonstrated the law by showing love. In the exact same account, in Mark chapter 1, verse 41, Mark adds this one line, Jesus moved with compassion. Do you remember last teaching? Jesus moved with compassion. He stretched out His hand and touched Him and said to Him, I am willing, be cleansed. So on one hand, we see that Jesus might have broken the law, but on the other hand, He fulfills the law because love fulfills the law. It wasn't just a physical restoration of this man. It was God reaching out to this person, restoring relationship with Himself, and also bringing Him back into kingdom community. There's a lot of things we can learn from just this one gesture of Jesus. And each time I, I read this story, I'm asking myself how I fall short in loving people who are difficult to love, not just emotionally or in their behavior, but sometimes the way they look, right, can be either dirty or smelly or sweaty or, and, and we want to stay a mile away because we just showered. And some people will say, oh no, you cannot touch these unclean things you know, because you will be defiled and you are supposed to be holy. And I think we missed the picture. It is true, we are not to align with uncleanness, but today we don't have to be afraid of uncleanness. Would you agree with me? We don't align with uncleanness. That means we, we don't hop up with people and walk in the ways of sinners, you know, just so that we can be like one of them and, and then later on we, we align with their values and things like that. We don't align with uncleanness, but we don't have to be afraid with uncleanness because if you are walking close to Jesus, then we are holy, we are set apart, we are righteous in Him. It is through that position or in that position that we can then reach out to people. They can't defile us if we don't allow ourselves to be defiled. Is that amen? And so that's why sometimes the church is so holy, in inverted commas, that we only stay inside the church and we don't reach out to the community because we consider them unclean. I think we are missing this picture. 
we are missing the whole point. Finally, Jesus also upheld the law. He said to him, show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. I mean, if Jesus didn't care about the law, he wouldn't have told this leper or ex-leper to go present himself to the priest. He had to get himself certified. Jesus upheld the law. At that point in time, the sacrificial laws were still in place. And it's said that you must bring two birds. One will be killed, one will be released. After that, the man returns to the camp but must stay outside the tent for, for seven days. And on the eighth day, if everything is okay, then you'll have to bring two male lambs and one will be killed as a trespass offering. Sound familiar? The blood is taken, applied to his right earlobe, applied to his right thumb, and also to his right toe. Very funny, huh? And then they will take oil and anoint the ear, same place, and the right thumb, and the right toe. And through this act, he will be ritually cleansed because atonement has been made for him. I'm not sure, but I think those three positions are very, very critical, very strategic. That the message might be, you are now cleansed, atoned. Now, watch how you hear the Lord and obey. Watch how you live by your right thumb and your, what you do with your hands. Watch the way that you walk right now. You have been cleansed for service unto the Lord. Don't be unclean again. You see, this is the kind of a message. But today is no longer needed because Jesus has become that ultimate sacrifice once and for all. He has perfected those who are being sanctified. He has cleansed those who are being cleansed. It's, it's a contradiction in terms, but you have to hold these two positions in tension. What a beautiful picture. One simple account. And it's not just a physical restoration. That's what I believe. And the funniest thing is, Jesus says to him, see that you tell no one. I have no more time to teach this section to you. But there are various reasons why Jesus says not to say anything to anyone. Did Jesus not want God to be glorified? Short answer for you. The moment he presented himself to the priest, God would have been glorified. Because no one heals leprosy except God. And God would have been glorified. Clearly, it's not just the wow factor. It's not about miracle signs and wonders. Jesus wasn't out for a popularity contest. In fact, we know the Jews would seek for signs. But Jesus wasn't content with just giving them signs for the sake of signs. Because we see that sensationalism, miracles and healings can also be misunderstood and can even cause some to miss the point. Finally, the biggest sign was Jesus on the cross and the Jews totally missed it. For a more practical reason, Jesus says, please don't tell everyone because if you tell everyone, I will be swamped with multitude of multitudes. But the ex-leper was disobedient, I mean, because he was so excited. I mean, people would have known him and asked him, how did you get healed? And after that, Jesus was no longer able to enter the city. It hampered the ministry of Jesus. And more possibly, there might have been a confusion 
about Jesus' true messianic mission. Everyone would have wanted him to be king and to overthrow the Roman powers, you know, and they want, every time they want to make him of that position, Jesus runs away. Jesus would not be deterred from his kingdom assignment. You see, it's not the wow factor, my friends. I believe Jesus can heal. I believe Jesus will still heal. But it's not just the wow. It is acknowledging Jesus as king correctly and for us to submit to him. And so my friends, what's your cry? Are you asking Jesus like the leper, make me clean? I don't know what condition you are in. Whether physical, emotional, spiritual, moral, I don't know. But you see, you can be nice on the outside, but on the inside, God knows your condition. And so I'm not here to dig, but I'm asking you, do you have a desire for restoration? But it begins with an acknowledgement of a need. Then come boldly to Jesus. Come with a heart of worship. Come by faith, but come with submission. If there's an area that you need to clean up in your life, do it for the glory of Jesus. He has died for us. His blood has been shed for us. He has washed us. Why do we want to take it presumptuously and think, you know, oh, it's okay, it's all right. I don't think it is. We are a special people. And also, as we close and as we pray, how many of you want to be like Jesus? Father, I just want to thank you and praise you, Lord. That scripture is always so rich. That what we see as just a physical healing, there are just so many things we can learn if we would dig for gold and to mine for the precious stones that we can find in your word. But Lord, I pray beyond just understanding a little bit more in our minds and being impressed with the hidden gems in there, Lord, I pray, will you deal with our hearts? Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for cleaning us up, oh Lord. But Lord, we still need your help. We still need the Holy Spirit and your grace. Because, Lord, we fall short time and again. And, Lord, forgive us that we have been presumptuous upon your grace. Forgive us if we have just taken it too lightly, thinking that as long as we're active in the church, as long as we say the right Christian thing, post the right verses up on Facebook and get enough likes on it, we are okay. No, it's not. Lord Jesus, you see everyone. You see everything. Will you heal us? Lord, will you cleanse us? Make us whole again. And then send us out. Anoint our ears that we can hear you clearly and then to obey. Anoint our right thumb, O oh Lord, our hands, O oh Lord, that we can serve you and do the work that you have given to us. And anoint our right toes, O oh God, that we will walk the ways of the King. Send us wherever we need to go. And may we be willing and be obedient to do all that you task us to. And so thank you, Lord. Thank you for your love. Thank you for everything, Lord. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.